Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Why are boundaries necessary for marriage restoration after sexual betrayal? And how does a couple navigate establishing and enforcing such boundaries in a redemptive way? Today, we have back with us Carla Downing to help us answer these important questions. Carla is the founder of ChangeMyRelationship.com. She offers Christian marriage help and Christian relationship help as a speaker, author, counselor, and Bible study teacher. As one who has walked her own path of relationship struggles, she can speak to these matters with both experience and empathy. In this conversation, Carla defines what boundaries are, why they are necessary to rebuild a broken marriage, how they are enforced, various pitfalls to boundary setting and boundary keeping, and what the real goal is of restoration. To learn more about Carla and her relationship resources, visit changemyrelationship.com. For even more resources, visit bebroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And please take a little bit of time to rate and review the podcast after you listen, because this really does help other people to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries, and Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now let's get into today's conversation with Carla. Well, all right, Carla Downing, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, I was just looking in our notes and realizing that uh, it was last December that we posted the last podcast we had with you where we were talking about how to help wives uh, detach in love in difficult Mm -hmm. marriages. And so that was a great uh, podcast episode. By the way, that's been one of our most listened to podcasts over the last year. So it really was resonating with a lot of women out there. Uh, Before Before we dive into this conversation today, why don't you just uh, let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and kind of the work that you do in your in your ministry? Yes, well, I am a therapist, but that's probably secondary to the fact that I have also been a wife in a difficult marriage. Um, I have also, and this has actually not been the main problem in my marriage. Um, because we had so many other issues that were more predominant. Uh, but I actually, my husband actually did have an affair that lasted for about a year and a half, and we did heal our marriage from that. And so I have, I, I do have um, experience in that. Um, but my ministry is really for all Christians in any difficult relationship where uh, I give them practical tools based on biblical principles. And that is really my focus, having been a Christian in difficult relationships and desiring to obey God and apply his word, but being confused about what his word said and having uh, struggled with misconceptions and misunderstandings. And so I've taken basically the healthy things that I I started this, you know, 40 years ago. So (laughs) the things that uh, weren't available in Christian books at that time, there's so much more now, and really struggling to put what I learned in the secular world that was healthy and helpful and find that in God's word and see how his word aligns with things that we can use to heal. And uh, it's it makes me excited to talk about it. It's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. So to kind of set that up, um, today we're really going to be talking about the issue of boundaries. But I want to kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, 
set the circumstance that we're looking at here. And this is, uh, you know, our ministry, we deal with the sexual brokenness aspects of, mm -hmm. of difficult marriages. The most common marriages that we deal with are where a husband has acted out in some way sexually that has betrayed his wife. And so that's probably the most common scenario that we're going to be dealing with today as we talk about the issue of boundaries. Uh, but this is a couple that is now wanting to seek restoration. They actually want their marriage to work. So this means both spouses are wanting to work towards restoration. So with that context in place, why don't you help us understand first just what are boundaries and why are they necessary to this process of restoring a broken marriage? Yes. Well, I my definition of a boundary is what you will or will not do. That's the first part. It's focused on you. It's not focused on telling your spouse what he or she has to do. It's basically focused on you, recognizing that you have choices to make. And so it's what you will or will not do. Now, sometimes, and often in this situation where we're talking about, it's about what somebody else does or doesn't do. So it might be about the spouse's behavior, but it isn't basically setting rules. It's expressing your willingness, your willingness of, for what you're willing to do. It can be what you need. It can be what you, um, what we're talking a lot, we're going to talk a lot about safety when we talk about these boundaries. So it's really about respons responsibility. What are you responsible for? What is the husband responsible for? What is the re wife responsible for? If you don't know anything about this, your first thing would be like, well, if he betrayed me, he's responsible to fix this. He's responsible to make this better. He's responsible. Yeah, he is. But there's going to be a whole lot of responsibilities if the wife does want to restore that marriage that she's also going to have. And they need to enter into this with that understanding. And I think you have to recognize and, and if somebody's listening to this and they're in the midst of this, they know that they are both steeped, both partners are steeped in shame. They are both steeped in pain and they are both steeped in fear. Is our relationship going to work? Am I going to be able to forgive the, to fix this? Is she going to forgive me? Is he going to stay uh, sober and not act out anymore? I mean, these, there's just a million of those ifs. They're both reactive. They've got to give each other both a lot of space and a lot of understanding and a lot of recognizing what's going on. You know, reactivity comes from our lower brain and it's because we're in anxiety and because we're in fear and we're in pain and we're going to react quickly. Um, they both need support. They're both going to need to take responsibility for getting their own support, their own therapist, their own recovery program. Uh, and they both need to, for a time, be able to live in a time of uncertainty and manage that and recognize that that's part of this process and giving each other the space to do that. And boundaries are going to help them enable to do that and live in that place while they're putting this together. And it does take some time. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the betrayed spouse then and, and needing to establish these boundaries of what he or she is saying, this is what I'm taking responsibility for and what I'm going to do. Where do they start to, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you begin to establish, like, what's the first step? What are, what are the most important 
kinds of boundaries that maybe need to be established first? Well, the first one is, am I, am I going to stay and work on this? Is, is the husband want to stay in the relationship? And you've set that up to where he does, he wants to, wants to heal and she's willing to go through that process also. Um, And then the next one would be getting their own help. You're not going to be able to do this if you, and do it well and do it right and reestablish trust and respect and intimacy and really move forward with a better marriage unless you both get a program and a sponsor. So it's committing to that, finding that support, using that support. Uh, So that would be the first one. And then, you know, the, the, I've kind of set this up and where I've got some parallels where I've got kind of a boundary in the same issue for the spouse for the betrayed and also the betrayer. So I'm just going to kind of go down the list. They're not necessarily in, in any order other than what I had just stated. Um, and the first thing that happens in the, the betrayed partner is that there is an obsession, an obsession to control the betrayer, to find out what's going on. What are you doing? What are you thinking? You want to know everything that happened, but you're also nervous about what's going on right now. So the boundaries that the spouse needs to have with that is really boundaries with yourself. What am, what am I willing to like let go of? What am I willing to ask and not ask? What do I need to know and not know? Am I going to obsess and literally just continually barrage my spouse with these questions? Or am I going to take these to my support system, my my sponsor, my counselor? You know, so what, you know, and this, some of these are agreements that they can have if they're trying to get along together is agreements for what you can ask and when to ask it. And I'm not saying, and, and the, for in this one, the betrayer um, is responsible for setting boundaries on how sobriety is going to be maintained from the start. Like, what am I going to do? Am I, you know, going to take the computers out of the house? Am I going to, you know, take a leave from my work? Am I going to, you know, what am I going to do to help maintain my sobriety? Because that, you know, there is nothing to work on if the spouse is not committed to that sobriety. The betrayer is not committed to that. And so, but basically that the um, betrayed has to handle that obsession and has to figure out how to control those emotions of the fear that it's happening again. That is the most significant fear that any betrayed spouse has is how will I know that this is happening again? The fear of not knowing and having it happen in secret and the fear of finding it out because that is a traumatic event. And so that has to become, even though you recognize, like I said, you're going to live in this place of uncertainty. And we know that recovery isn't just a straight line, that it has some ups and downs. There are some slips, uh, but figuring out how am I going to manage that uh, obsession? How am I going to work with that obsession and try to put my obsession on my own recovery and letting go of that obsession of what my spouse is doing. And this is some of this stuff, this is not done all at once and it's not done easily, but it is, it needs to be a boundary. How will I manage that obsession and that desire to know? And for the spouse, how do I, how do I react to those questions? Do I shame? Do I blame her? 
Do I get angry? Do I say, don't ask me that again or none of your business? Not good if you answer like that, you know, but with the compassion and humility and non-defensiveness and uh, saying reassuring, I am working with my sponsor. I am I am working with my program. I'm handling that. Do you think this is good for you to ask me? Do you think this is good for you to, you know, because you're not responsible for your spouse's sobriety either way, okay? And and for emotional wholeness or using the program. But basically it's it's reacting to that in a compassionate, humble way, but at the same time the betrayed spouse has to recognize this is my responsibility. I have to have some boundaries on myself for what I'm going to ask. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I like the way that you're kind of framing this and the way I'm hearing it, and you can tell me if I'm receiving it properly or not, is it's like you have this major sort of headline boundary of saying, okay, I've got to be able to handle these, uh, this, the, the fear or the obsession. Mm-hmm. I've got to draw a line in terms of where I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do as a response to fear. And then underneath that, it's like you've got all these options of sort of specific ways in which you are going to respond to that. So it doesn't seem, it doesn't sound to me like you're saying, okay, listen, you establish this boundary and there's one way to respond to it or one decision that you have. There can be like so many decisions. And within that, uh, how does somebody who is obsessing over fear not get obsessive about all the different actions that they might want to take in terms of establishing a boundary to to deal with fear. Well, yeah, that, and that that's called process and yeah. time, and you know that goes into all of the principles that I teach. You know, I, my ten principles. I make one of those to change yourself. You know, not the other person, and that's part of that is letting go of that ses- obsession. But really, the root of that comes from twelve step, which is powerlessness recognizing and owning that I'm powerless over this other person and that my job is not to fix this other person, turning this other person over to God, turning this other person over, recognizing the responsibility for this is in is in my spouse and recognizing the powerlessness I have and that when I focus on this other person, my life becomes completely unmanageable. If I want to fix my marriage, if that is my goal, and now I'm I'm stating this really nicely. In the real world, you know how this happens? This happens with screaming, yelling, accusations, tears, um, threats. That's how it really happens, okay? So that's why the obsession is harmful and damaging, not only to the fact that it's not good for your own body and you can't live your own life, you might be having trouble taking care of your children, you might be having trouble doing your job, might be having trouble focusing on just keeping your thoughts straight. That's all part of shock. So this is all, um, you know, got, you got lots of things going on. However, you know, recognizing that the obsession is not good for you or for your relationship. Doing all of those things is going to be, is going to be harmful for the process. But again, the betrayer has to be patient and understanding and respond, which is really hard for the betrayer. The betrayer, like I said, is also anxious, is steeped in shame, is um, fearful that the relationship might not work, is really so in so much pain over his own, you know, failings, but also uh, pain seeing his wife in this pain. Okay. So, I mean, you got to take that into consideration where there's pain. When you see your spouse in pain and you're now open to that pain, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard 
to to watch that and not get defensive and react or to say just leave me alone for a time just just back off i'm doing this and all of those things are boundaries how am i going to react how am i going to manage my own emotions yeah now i i don't want to uh, i don't want to lose track of where we're going in terms of setting boundaries but since you mentioned the betrayer i'd love for you to take just a second to to talk about why it is important that maybe the betrayer uh, reframe how they might initially view boundaries. Because I think almost every betrayer in this situation is immediately initially going to have a very negative view, very fearful view towards boundaries. It's Mm -hmm. almost like, okay, this is the way that my wife can punish me for the failures that I've had. How can you help the betrayer reframe it to see that boundaries are actually good for the restoration of the marriage? Yeah, well, the boundaries, like I said, if you don't, if you don't look at boundaries the way that you typically look at them, if you look, because we look at them wrongly, we look at them as rules, we look at them as ways of controlling people. We think of that with our children. You cannot play in the front yard because that's not safe for you. You know, you can't go and be with those people. Like, yes, even that with our children is protection, right? We're, we're, we're taking care of it. So the boundaries in your relationship need to be looked at as safety. They're, they are to establish primarily safety and trust and respect. So not punishment, but necessary for reestablishing safety trust and respect in the relationship and by if you see it them as those and many of them are transitional boundaries things that you may need to do for a little while that will fall off after time then you cannot be so fearful but again it's it's partially the way that spouse the betrayed spouse or and even the betrayer states their boundaries you can't ever do that again. I'm never going to have a computer in this house. That's going to feel like punishment and that's going to feel like too much. I'm afraid. I, I'm not comfortable seeing the computer right now. It's so triggering for me that it's literally just putting me to, into a state where I'm so overwhelmed. I, I can't function. So again, here we're working together. How do we figure out how to make the wife feel comfortable while we're working through this process of establishing sobriety first, sobriety always comes first, and then reestablishing our intimacy. And for at the beginning, it's literally safety for the wife. She's traumatized. She's fearful. She's in shock. Her whole world has, depending on the depth of the sexual addiction, her whole world has crumbled. There's no safe solid footing. So it's, that's basically, so does that help reframe it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really helpful. And, and so kind of getting back then to the establishment of some boundaries, what are some other key boundaries that are really important for uh, a couple who's wanting restoration? Well, one of them is on sex. Um, A lot of the programs will say that to reestablish or to give initial sobriety for the husband that they should abstain from sex for 90 days to help him get control of his, um, you know, his thoughts, his fantasies, you know, that type, all of that. So that is often going to come from his program. But then also for the wife, she's feeling a lot of things with sex. She's feeling, oh my gosh, I'm not as beautiful as those women he's watched in porn. 
I can't do those things. I don't want to do those things. Maybe he's asked her to do things that were different before she found out it was porn he was looking at or that he had been with some other women. And now all of a sudden, those things become incredibly painful. So it might be STD testing that needs to be done to establish physical safety to have intimacy. So first one is what are we going to do about sex? And that, again, needs to be on safety and reestablishing trust and respect. If the husband respects the fact that his wife now feels very vulnerable, very insecure, very uncomfortable, um, then and recognizing then they need, he needs to respect the fact that for a time she might not be able to be sexual with him. Now, again, this isn't done with threats of I'll never have sex with you again, because if you're going to do that, your marriage isn't going to work. Okay, so that isn't going to be the outcome of this. It basically is how are we going to establish this trusting, respectful, safe uh, sexual intimacy in our marriage? And yes, it's going to take some time. And he, the boundaries that he has to have with that is basically, what am I going to do about that? What am I going to do about being patient? And how am I going to respond to that? Am I going to blame her? Am I going to get upset? All of these things have to come. And then also, how is he going to handle that? How does he handle his sexual drive if there's going to be a time of not having intimacy in the marriage. So boundaries in this area for both of them, again, best if they can work together and recognize that this is what they need to reestablish that intimacy. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about what, are, uh, and, and maybe this is something you've got a little later in the conversation, but it makes me think there's there are certain characteristics that it seems like both spouses are going to have to bring to this if it's going to work well. And the two that popped into my head is, is one, there's got to be a, an understanding that there needs to be patience. And then also both sides need to lean into humility. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that neither one of them have all the answers to how this is all to be worked out. And so can you talk a little bit about that and some of the maybe some other characteristics that are also necessary for yeah. for coming to this with a with the right attitude that can make this work well? Yeah, definitely humility. You know, uh, in twelve uh, step programs in the in in Al Anon, you will hear them say uh, regarding the alcoholic, uh, there but there by the grace of God, you know. I don't, I, I don't go or however I said that wrong, but um, in other words, it's harder to be the addict in a lot of ways than it is to be the betrayed. Both are very difficult, but having compassion, I can tell you that when they do studies, almost every or every addict has wounds in their childhood that are deep. They have potentially been introduced to pornography, not even by their own choice necessarily shown by a brother, picked it up because their father had it. Uh, Now it's so much on the internet. It's so easy for that. And then just by whatever was going on, this became a coping or an addiction due to the pain. I mean, there is a history, there's a story in all of our pains and hurts. And so recognizing that is one thing that the addict has to work through And that story, I know for me, it helped a lot to understand the what and the why for the betrayal that happened to me. That helped me in the healing. That was just absolutely in the fact that my husband brought that to me and he understood it and it made sense, gave me compassion and it gave me a desire to let it go 
recognizing that it was, you know, also helped establish trust because recognizing that that was something that was understood helped me to realize, okay, then that doesn't necessarily have to happen again. That's something that it, this, the pieces fell into place due to all these circumstances. So I think compassion and definitely the patients. And then also, um, I think you have to really, and this is something they're both going to be learning maybe for the first time through this is you're going to have to be able to be self-introspective and you're going to have to be emotionally smart that we talk about emotional IQ, which is to know your feelings, to identify them, feel them, and then choose how to react to them. So both people, both spouses are going to be growing emotionally and maybe growing introspection and emotional intelligence in a new way. And that is also a process. Mm -hmm. This is really good. Are there any other key boundaries that you think are necessary for really helping restoration to work well? Yeah, I think it's, well, it's what, what details, you know, I mean, most of the programs obviously recommend that the, um, the betrayer do a full disclosure uh, to a therapist and then the lie detector test and then to the spouse. Uh, and then, but that takes a while to get to that point. And that is, again, for the purpose, scary, scary for both parties, for the wife, not knowing what she's going to hear. But I just spoke with a woman last night who's in a marriage where she's discovered the sexual addiction of her husband about three months ago, and he's giving her bits and pieces and she's horrendously traumatized. And I said, you know, would you feel better if it all came out? And she said, I'm scared of that. But at the same time, absolutely. She said, I, I can't even rest because I keep waiting. What's going to come next? What would next? And I don't know if I can ever trust him to tell me everything, but I need to know. But you don't need to know what color the woman's hair was necessarily. You know, be careful how many of those details that you ask, because every one of those details can haunt you. And, um, but again, the husband needs to understand that if his wife does need to know in order to reestablish trust, then he has to be willing to disclose. And that's a boundary for him. What am I willing to do and not willing to do? Am I willing to go do that disclosure? Am I, am I, you know, am I willing to be completely honest? Am I, am I willing to risk it? It's a risk if I tell her everything, because he thinks when he does little by little, if I tell her this one and she doesn't run out the door, I'm safe on that one. So then I'm going to try one more and see if she runs out the door. But that is in the end going to delay the healing and it is causing more damage. Yeah, and that kind of leads into my next question. I was going to ask, what are some of the the pitfalls that you see couples make in establishing or even trying to maintain their boundaries? Yeah, well, I think doing it the wrong way, definitely like punishment, doing it like punishment, doing it like threats, um, taking it as punishment to where you're reactive, uh, using a threat of give me your phone instead of saying, I'm really anxious today, are you willing to show me your phone and let me read your text? And so, you know, by demanding, by accusing, accusing, you, you've watched pornography today, haven't you? Again, taking responsibility, I'm feeling really insecure today, I'm feeling really fearful and scared. Are you willing to answer some questions? And then, this, then the betrayer, the spouse can say, 
yes, you know, I'll answer those questions. I'm here's the empathy. I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. That must be really painful. If they both have compassion and empathy and knowing that they're both struggling and then deep, deep pain and shame, like I said, and, and they're both super anxious by giving each other mutual compassion, these conversations can take place. So, and then the thing is, we're never having a computer in the house again. That's probably not going to happen in this day and age, but recognizing, okay, maybe for a time, you can't have a computer. And and then the reverse is the spouse, like I said, taking this as uh, accusing back, you know, you're never going to trust me, are you? You know, you're always going to, you're always, or stop nagging me or, or leave me alone. Instead of taking responsibility, I'm having a really bad day. I'm really struggling. Is it okay if we have this conversation later? Is this okay? If, is it okay if we have this conversation after I talk to my sponsor? That kind of thing. So basically, again, working together. Yeah, Does that you know, make sense? Yeah, you bring up the 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 two terrible words, you know, the never and always uh, uh, thinking. But I wanted to ask you too, because you mentioned earlier in the conversation and even just a minute ago, this idea of almost de- declaring a permanent state of these boundaries. How yeah. does the couple determine what boundaries, if any, maybe need to be permanent or semi-permanent and when maybe some boundaries can be removed and and how is all of that navigated? Because I think there is a fluidity and a flexibility mm-hmm. that's needed to this whole topic of boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's so individual and it has to do with the pace of the healing and the pace of the recovery. It has to do with job situations. Some may, I mean, I've, I've had women who are like, I, I don't know if I can do this because my husband's job is he's a trader. He's on, not trader, but trader, like on the internet all the time for work or his job is, you know, he's does design computer, you know, graphic design. So that's something where you're not, you know, that might be a kind of a a thing of, oh, how would we do that? So again, yes, the, the fluidity, but I think it has to do with how much trust is established. You have to reestablish a solid footing, and that is reestablished with trust. And primarily, the trust from the betrayed spouse has to be, I trust you not to act out. And if you do act out, I trust you to, if you have a slip, I trust you to reach out to your recovery, to reach out to your sponsor, and I trust you to come to me and tell me within a reasonable, some say within 48 hours to come and tell me that you've had. Now that's, that's a difficult one too, because some, the betrayed spouse will say to me, well, what am I supposed to do? Do I have the boundary? You can never, ever slip. You can never look at pornography again. You can never, ever, you know, have a thought where you want to sleep with another woman. If, and that's a boundary that you want to have, but if you have that boundary, you're probably, then you make it to where your spouse cannot be honest with you. If there is a slip, or a relapse in this recovery. And I have to be honest and say there often is not necessarily a whole relapse, but can be a slip as you re- as you established, it, you know, pretty much pretty common to have that at the be- very beginning. But if you tell them, if you ever do that again, then and if you don't tell me, and then I find out we're done mm-hmm. is too rigid. Yeah. So but again, working together, the computer, the there are the filters you can put on computers. 
Uh, you probably should never have passwords that your spouse does not know on your phone and computer. Again, even in healthy marriages that haven't experienced betrayal, not having not having passwords, not being if somebody is controlling and um, you know, abusive and checking their spouses, you know, that is not okay because then that's over, that's extreme. But just knowing that there's access to where you, their spouse knows that you can look, could pick it up is like enough to establish the feeling of safety with that. So, you know, it could be, but it could be that at the beginning that the spouse is going to ask for the phone every day. Can I see your phone? You're home from work. Can I see your phone? Can I, can you show me your history? Can you show me that the history is there of the good things you did, but there's no history of it. And let me look at your phone log. Uh, that's all part of it at the beginning. And again, if that's done with the right attitude, both ways that can be used to reestablish trust, but that is not something that you would continue forever. 10 years down the line, you are not going to be say every saying every day, your spouse walks in the door, show me your phone. That would be ridiculous and that right. would be not helpful. Well, that would mean that you're not really growing. You're not actually, you know, uh, continuing on the journey. Well, we are, exactly. we are almost out of time here, uh, Carl. It's been a great conversation. Uh, what are some final thoughts that you would want to give couples out there as they are trying to navigate this space of just understanding boundaries and, and what their their value is to the restoration of their marriage? Yeah, the one thing that we didn't mention, I'll just say it so they, because I know there's a lot to this, is how each one has to manage their own triggers because both have triggers. When she sees a pretty woman on a TV show, she's going to be triggered for memories. She's going to wonder if he's triggered. He's got to figure out how he manages his triggers. Both got to take responsibility for that. And there's lots of work and lots of boundaries that have to be done with that too. What shows they watch, where they go, all of that. Um, so the triggers is another issue. And the question is, and I mean, I know many couples who've stayed together after infidelity and sexual betrayal. And uh, for many, it's been the best decision for them. And keeping your family together, keeping your marriage together, being able to heal, uh, you're going to have to heal from this one way or the other. You cannot take these wounds into a new marriage, new relationship and have that be a healthy marriage relationship. You, If you've got all this betrayal hurt, if you've got all this fear, all this trust, trust, you have to heal from these, you have to forgive, you have to do all this work anyway, both of you. You and the person who's got the um, sexual betrayal has to get healthy if the person wants to be, walk in, purity and walk in a place where they're, you know, healthy and whole and can have another healthy relationship. So you get a choice. You do this to be healthy with each other and preserve your marriage. If there's love still there, that's totally worth it. And if you've got children involved, that makes it even more worth it. And, um, or you have to go do it on your own and then have a whole different relationship and that's work too. So I don't, that's being pretty darn practical and nitty gritty. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And in fact, uh, where can our listeners go to get some more resources that you have, uh, specifically on, on kind of this dealing with difficult marriages and restoration and all of that? 
Yeah, my website is changemyrelationship.com. And on that, I have uh, the link to my YouTube channel, Change My Relationship. My books are on there. Specifically to this, I have my uh, first book, which is 10 Life-Saving Principles for Women in Difficult Marriages. All of those 10 principles are applicable to a wife who's um, in a marriage with a, um, a sexually addicted husband or a husband who's been um, have been betrayed her. Also, I have a 365 day devotional that gives you all kinds of practical, healthy tools for how to navigate difficult relationships. And that one is phenomenally helpful for picking up all kinds of tools, all biblically based. Uh, I also have um, transforming difficult relationships and a, for both for any difficult relationship that you have. And then I have a great uh, class that I do all of these. I do, I have my books and I also do classes on zoom on all of these books. And that is um, the truth in the mirror. And it has to do with rebuilding self image and really looking at yourself. And that would be for definitely for the wife whose self image is destroyed and eventually for the husband uh, to work on some of the roots of this, but once sobriety is established and not dealing with that. So, and then lots of other things there too. I have a free subscription. They can sign up and that gives them a free devotional and then links to, um, they will get emails on my classes when they're, you know, the next class is upcoming. I also have a five week class online on boundaries where I literally go step by step on boundaries. So, and I have a podcast if I can ever get time to pick it back up again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start in January. That's my New Year's resolution. Nice. Well, Carla, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for continuing to do the work that you're doing and providing just all these great resources for couples who are just trying to navigate uh, difficult relationships, but do it in a way that there is hope and there's possibilities for restoration. So thank you for what you're doing and for being on the program again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're going to uh, put all of that information in our show notes so that you can connect to all those resources that Carla was just mentioning. And of course, we want to walk alongside you to help you take your next best step towards uh, recovery and restoration. So please feel free to reach out to us. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care.